Welcome to this edition of the Mission Bitcoin Podcast. On today's episode, we talk with Onward Christian Hodlers. Onward is on mission with God in the UK ministering to the economically depressed in Northern England. Onward studied law at Oxford University and worked with the Home Office to help immigrants and refugees obtain asylum and social services. In this fantastic discussion, we discuss his ministry, Bitcoin's potential role in meeting social needs in the community and in missions, and we end the discussion with the problem of the millennial generation. I love this discussion. I hope you do as well. If you would like to support Onward and his ministry, I've left his Lightning Wallet address in the show notes. Onward did not ask me for this. I added this at the conclusion of the recording. And now a word about our sponsors. Jeter Melder LLP is more than a law firm. It is a legal team. Justin and Michael have over 30 years of experience working with different clients on different legal issues from both sides of the docket, including business disputes, constitutional rights, employment agreements, employment discrimination, local counsel, and pay issues. Jeter Melder have advocated in federal and state courts in Arkansas, California, Illinois, New Mexico, in Texas. With a unique blend of clients from doctors, fellow attorneys, tradesmen, hourly workers, the unemployed, to small businesses and Fortune 500 companies, they all have one thing in common. They believe in Jeter Melder and Jeter Melder believes in them. Give them a call at 214-699-4758 or visit them at JeterMelder.com. That's J-E-T-E-R-M-E-L-D-E-R.com. Have Jeter Melder work for you. Onward, uh, thanks for thanks for joining me. Um, I I'm really appreciative for your for your time and for the audience' sake. Just uh, introduce yourself and um, maybe a little bit about where you are, uh, how you grew up, where you grew up, and and what you studied in school. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me on, Patrick. Um, I am onward Christian Hodlers. Uh, yes, I pronounce it like that to rhyme with soldiers. Um, I am uh, a 20 something year old lad uh, in the UK. Uh, my wife and son and I live in the north of England. Uh, we're part of a church plant. Uh, I studied law uh, at the University of Oxford. Fantastic. Wow, yeah. that's fantastic. Uh, ended up with a 2 2 because I uh, disagreed quite strongly with the, the philosophical basis that uh, my tutors were, were teaching from. But uh, that's all you can do as a Christian, really, isn't it? So in the so as a so as studying law, you would have gone in to become a barrister. Is that the correct term? That, that was the intention. Yeah. yeah. Uh, very quickly realised that um, a lot of the law wasn't quite as interesting as I thought it was, uh, and I, I essentially taught myself a theology degree on the side. Oh, nice! Don't don't feel bad. My brother's an attorney, and he doesn't like it either. <laughs> I think lawyers are the only. Uh, profession where the, the people within the profession hate the people in the profession. Uh, yeah, for sure. By the lawyers. Um, but yeah, uh, that, that's really uh, me. Fantastic. Um, onward, uh, kind of describe your faith background and um, kind of what you're doing right now. So I grew up uh, in a Christian home. Uh, my dad is a Baptist minister. Uh, Mum, also a lovely uh, genuine godly Christian lady. Uh, there wasn't a time really that I didn't know uh, about God, uh, but I would say it was really in my early teens that I came to know God. Um, as a kid, I was very... Describe, onward, describe that. If someone um, who's listening doesn't understand that concept, uh, how can you grow up in a Christian family and not really know God? What, what does that look like? 
God uh, is not merely a construct. Uh, he's not an abstract uh, idea. Uh, he's not uh, out there somewhere uh, just kind of doing his own thing. Uh, but he uh, is three persons, uh, Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, he is love. Uh, he wants to be known. Uh, he created us for that purpose. And uh, so what I mean is when I was growing up, uh, I, I thought the Bible was a list of rules to live your life by uh, and that by doing lots of good things, uh, I was I was good with God, uh, basically. And really came to realize through actually reading the Bible for myself uh, that that isn't the case. Uh, it's not what the Bible says about itself. Uh, the Bible is a love story. Uh, it's an mm-hmm. overarching narrative uh, about the whole of history. Uh, it gives us the reason that the world is so messed up. Um, it gives us the, the solution uh, both to, to myself uh, and, and the inconsistency uh, that I saw in myself, the, the sin that I was doing, uh, which meant that I couldn't be right with God and never could be. Uh, and it gives the solution in the person of Jesus Christ, who, who is uh, God and man. Uh, and he came in and died for me. I lived the life that I couldn't live. He died the death that I deserved. Uh, he rose again, literally physically got out of his tomb. Uh, and if he didn't do that, uh, then both of us are, and presumably everyone else uh, who claims the name of Jesus is living a con. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I pinned my hopes on the fact uh, that Jesus had really lived in history. He had really died and he had really risen again and he is really coming back. Um, uh, and I suppose uh, in that God promised to come and uh, make his home in me. Amen. Christian, you know, his spirit lives in me. Uh, and that blows my mind every day mm-hmm. because, uh, I mean, it sounds insane, doesn't it? God dwelling in you. Um, but it's true. I found it to be true. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Um, so onward, to, uh, describe your um, kind of what you're doing now. And we're, we're, I'm going to ask about, you know, how you got involved in Bitcoin, but maybe um, describe what you're what you're doing now after university. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I uh, did a year uh, interning in, in an Anglican church. Um, I then uh, uh, moved uh, across the country uh, to be slightly closer to, to my uh, fiance at that point as she was, uh, she's now my wife, uh, just to make things go uh, more practically for wedding planning. Uh, found myself in a recruitment consultancy uh, and ended up leaving that job two months after we got married. Mm. Her parents were, were very understanding, uh, their brand new son-in-law quitting his job. Yeah. Uh, but that was uh, essentially because I was being asked to do things uh, that ran at odds uh, with with my faith. Mm, okay, um, it was a beastly place to be, mm. uh, and so I I came out, um, uh, spent a bit of time, um, kind of working in schools, 
uh, did some, I did almost two years actually um, as a lawyer uh, representing uh, asylum seekers to the Home Office um, in the UK. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the equivalent is in America. Is it the Department of... um, Probably Immigration, US Immigration. It'll be something like that. Um, The Home Office here kind of has responsibility for the police as well. Um, we don't have a nationalized police, so that that would be different. Okay, um, and then after that, uh, kind of pivoted uh, to a similar role, uh, but it's where I kind of help uh, recently granted refugees um, integrate into into society in their in their new home, really. And tell me a little bit. We were talking a little bit before we started. Tell me a little bit about you're in a church plant right now. Yeah, it's really exciting, actually, uh, Patrick. So uh, the, the the church plant was started, uh, I say, about a year and a half before uh, I moved uh, to our to our city. Um, my wife joined me about six months after that when we got married, and at the time that we both started uh, kind of serving there, uh, there were a dozen a dozen of us, including us. Um, the Lord can do a lot with a dozen people, as we as we well know. Um, so we've grown now to be regularly between about forty-five and sixty on a Sunday morning. Fantastic! Yeah, Amen. And uh, I think I was saying to you a little earlier that a good proportion of them uh, would would not consider themselves to be Christians. Um, so we're regularly having, you know, a dozen, fifteen people people around who uh, are are interested. Um, but no, they're not believers, mm. uh, which uh, I can't attribute to anything that we've done. Uh, that is that is all the spirit. Yeah, Amen. Are are you seeing many? Are you seeing much fruit from that yet, or they're just in the seeking phase at this point? Um, hard to quantify. Uh, I think by nature of where we're at um, in the in I suppose in the life cycle of our church. Um, there is a lot of transience, uh, so we, we will see, um, you know, people come and go and then come again and sometimes go again and then come again. Um, th- there are a number uh, who are kind of uh, unbelieving spouses of, of uh, church partners uh, and, you know, really encouragingly that they're actually not kind of completely turned off by sitting under the word every week. Um, but we're, we're kind of just praying and, uh, trusting God that he, he's got his own timings. Uh, he will do what he wants with people really. Uh, you know, whether that is drawing them to himself or, or hardening them under his mm-hmm. word, mm-hmm. same means that it does both. Um, of course we, we pray for the former and, uh, I think we, we have seen some fruit, you know, we've, uh, seen baptisms in the last few years. Um, we've seen, uh, you know, really, we've seen people come on really strong in their faith. Um, and so, you know, there is that numerical growth, but there's also a massive amount of deepening of, of trust and obedience, uh, which is, is really good. That's fantastic. I only pray that that is true for myself as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, do you, uh, real quick about the church. I mean, do you think that the 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 ones that are coming to seek are they? Is this? You, do you think you've seen an increase with um, 
what's going on with the pandemic and, you know, what's going on with our, our governments respectively? Um, or did you start seeing this before COVID and, and uh, government responses? Really, really good question. Um, gosh, I'm casting my mind back now because it is almost two years ago that this whole thing set in, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think as and when COVID hit, and when we were kind of prevented from from meeting together in person, um, there was a kind of expectation from us that perhaps you know this would be the moment that um, the whole nation kind of realizes um, that there's something missing in their lives and and they might start reaching out and, and seeking for what it is. I think in reality we, we probably saw that a lot of people watched a lot more Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not innocent of that either. Um, but at yeah. the same, time, there were people joining us on Zoom on a Sunday who we'd never seen in person before, um, and there were people, you know, who uh, kind of yeah, just started essentially attending with us. And it's really only been the last few months that we've actually seen them physically uh, with us. But it, I mean, that transition itself is something to thank God for. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting because I um, I thought that this COVID and the pandemic and the government lockdowns and all that would have a, a major detrimental effect on God's kingdom and especially missions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here in the U.S., you get on a plane in the summer and the half the plane is full of missionary teams going, you know, down south to Central America or anywhere in the world. Sure. Um, and I thought, wow, last summer was probably the first time in probably a hundred years that, you know, a lot of these places have not seen Christian missionaries come. But then I started listening to a missionary podcast called Modern Day Missions. And boy, hearing some of the stories, like one of the largest churches in in Peru almost doubled in size during the lockdowns over Zoom because people were just um, hungry and seeking. Mm-hmm. So God, God continued to work, uh, through the pandemic. So that was, that was encouraging. So that's fantastic. Um, Onward, tell me a little bit about, um, how you got involved, or I guess everyone always hears a Bitcoin at some point and they usually dismiss it, but then kind of go in it, um, later. So kind of tell me your, your Bitcoin journey. That's absolutely the case with me. Um, I, I first heard about Bitcoin, uh, it was in the first week or so of uh, going up to university. Um, and yeah, I had a friend, a newly minted friend, um, who told me about this fantastic uh, new cryptocurrency called Bitcoin. Um, and we're talking kind of late end of 2012 at this point. So goodness knows what the price was $150 maybe. Yeah. Um, I, in my infinite wisdom, thought that. Uh, the student money that I had was better spent on beer and kebabs. And uh, so I, I paid no attention to him. Um, <laughs> graduated, uh, kind of just got on with, you know, living. Uh, but I, so- I thought it, I thought at that age, you knew everything. <laughs> yeah, I thought so too. Don't we all? Remember his quote, it was Mark Twain. Um, it's, it's something like at the age of 17, you think your father's an idiot. And then by yeah. the age of realized that, uh, that, you know, it, it actually knew more than you thought he did. Yeah. Um, yeah, very much uh, true for me. I was a hot-headed uh, young man, uh, full of the follies of young men. And, um, yeah, I didn't pay any attention to my friend. Um, 
So my actual entry point into Bitcoin, um, when I pulled the trigger was after it passed $20,000, um, Christmas day, 2020, in fact. Okay. Fantastic. Okay. And so I've, I've been hodling for the last six or seven months. Good for you. Uh, strongly, tightly, um, I realized very quickly uh, after I, I decided to actually buy um, the the absolute scarcity of this thing. Um, uh, and so oriented um, our finances accordingly. It's time to play. Who wants to be a Satoshi millionaire? How much of the energy consumption used by Bitcoin miners comes from renewable resources? A. 0 to 10 percent. B. 10 to 20 percent. C. 20 to 30 percent. D. 30 to 100 percent. And Onward, tell me, um, what what is your, when you're on Bitcoin Twitter or, or are you seeing um, a Christian response? Are you seeing a spiritual response? Uh, what what kind of effect does Bitcoin have on people um, in in your perspective? Uh, I think I'm seeing both. Um, obviously, from my uh, limited uh, kind of perspective, uh, I think I am seeing both. So there are Christians who hold Bitcoin, uh, Christian Bitcoiners, if you will, who are really trying to be salt and light uh, in that community. Because I think that the one thing we can both agree on is that Bitcoin has a very, very strong sense of community. Mm -hmm. It's massive. It's unlike anything that I've ever come across before, apart from the church. Um, some people would say it's a cult. Some people would say it's a religion. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, very honestly, I, I think I do see elements of religiosity uh, there. And it's not surprising because I think as humans, uh, we are all hardwired toward community. Uh, we're all hardwired toward worship. Um, and uh, we've got that natural bent to either worship ourselves or the created things mm. rather than the, the creator uh, who is to be forever praised. Um, and so I, I think I do see uh, a lot of Bitcoin Twitter, um, you know, engaging in that sort of stuff. And I think uh, that's exactly where Christians need to be. Uh, those who can speak to the truths of Bitcoin, which uh, by definition, any, anyone who would say they're a Bitcoiner has kind of come to grasp those truths and, and hold them very dear to themselves. Um, but we've got a far greater truth because this is a truth that isn't just about something in the created order as fantastic and, you know, uh, almost mythical as, as Bitcoin's origins have been. Uh, but it's about the creator who, who made everything, including Bitcoin. Uh, so uh, for a while, actually, one of my pinned tweets was um, uh, kind of butchered uh, Abraham Kuyper quote, uh, which was, you know, there's not a single Satoshi in all of existence over which Jesus does not cry mine. Um, you know, everything is his. 
uh, including Bitcoin, including our time, uh, our uh, Twitter personas, uh, our laser eyes, everything. Mm -hmm. uh, it's all his, and uh, we've we've got to be using it for his glory. And what do you? We talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but um, this truth element of Bitcoin it has an effect on people who are not believers. Uh, and I wrote about this in one of my articles on medium, but describe why you think that is. So a lot of Bitcoiners, if you ask them, um, you know, why do you hold Bitcoin? Uh, they will engage in a comparison, won't they? Uh, they'll say, uh, well, you know, it's, it's far better than fiat currency. Well, the natural question is why is fiat bad? Well, it's just built on built on sand, isn't it? It's built on a pack of lies. And I think there's a, a healthy, sometimes bordering towards rabid skepticism of, of kind of government and um, a kind of authority um, in, in the world uh, amongst Bitcoiners. And I don't blame them necessarily mm -hmm. because a lot of it is built on lies. Uh, so, I mean, the attractiveness of Bitcoin, of course, is that this is something that is absolutely mathematically true. It obeys the laws of physics. Um, it, it, it is uh, on an immutable blockchain. Nobody can change it. And essentially, it is the process and the progress towards truth. Bitcoin is seeking truth. Uh, it's seeking a record of what has happened. Mm -hmm. One can agree on. Uh, and it, it's seeking something that will always be true. And so insofar as it does that, uh, insofar as it obeys the laws of nature, and it is a seeking towards an eternal truth. You know, Bitcoiners talk about the uh, blockchain lasting for eternity. Mm -hmm. um, it's doing a few things. It's, it's drawing people to uh, a knowledge of something that is true, whether they like it or not. Mm -hmm. And of course, they like it because they hold it. Um, true, whether they like it or not. Uh, it obeys these laws that are beyond us. And uh, it in engages people in a lower time preference set of behaviors. And I think all those three taken together point us towards uh, one who is truth, whether we like it or not. And, and naturally, we don't like it. Uh, one that does last forever, has always been, will always be, uh, and one that never changes. One that gave those laws uh, by which everything abides, and so I think, uh, in so far as people are engaging with almost the the lesser things of Bitcoin, uh, I see them uh, becoming engaged with the greater things of God. Mm. It's interesting. I in one of my articles, I I, I reference the fact that. And you're describing it, but um, I call it the the true truth. I mean, many, many people who are not Christians, Bitcoin's probably the first true truth they've ever encountered. Um, and I agree with you. It opens them up for the greater truths 
um, that uh, Christianity has to offer. Um, I think all of us, uh, myself included, uh, it's it's hard to it's when you first learn about Bitcoin and understand the what the fiat monetary system has done. It's it's a giant pile of lies. That's a shock even for a Christian, but I think probably less of a shock for us because um, we have a source of truth. And if the world falls, you know, um, we still we still believe in in God and we still believe in the truth. Mm-hmm. But I think a, I think a non-believing Bitcoiner, you know, they if they don't believe in truth, if everything they believed in has been a lie, then that's that's kind of a scary position to be in. It, it would uh, certainly shake you to your core to realize that. Um you know, this monetary system that uh, many of us have, have grown up under and, and know nothing different to uh, is effectively uh, a, a, a principle of enslavement. Yes. You know, central banks, uh, by virtue of the fact that they can print more of your currency uh, without your say-so, uh, take away your time. When, when I start saving for my pension at the age of 25 and come to collect it at 65 and I've been saving for 40 years and it, it turns out to be worth half of when I started, that's 20 years of my life gone through no fault of my own. Yeah. Uh, that's from a very Western kind of privileged position that I'm speaking. Um, you know, I, I don't live under uh, oppression. Um, I don't live uh, under hyperinflation. You know, I'm I'm not running out when I get my paycheck to spend it on bread to feed my son. Yeah, that's what I love about the story with Bitcoin Beach and El Salvador and Jack Mahler's um, just taking this on as a mission to to help help those who need it. And and you know, as far as I know, he's not a believer, but to to see that passion to help um, people who are affected by our monetary policy that you know, they're barely getting by and decisions that are made thousands and thousands of miles away from them are affecting them to, you know, the degree that we're not even aware of. Yeah. That's just absolute powerlessness, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe more about that. Cause my understanding is that it started as a Christian mission. Am I, am I correct in that? I mean, that's-, that's what I, I'm trying to get them on the, the podcast. Uh, that's my understanding as well. But every time I, have heard them on other podcasts. Uh, there's less of a, a Christian emphasis, which I understand. Um, but I want to hear the kingdom side, you know. Um, so if there's a kingdom side of that story, I want to hear it for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. definitely. Um, right. I'm sorry, onward. Go ahead. I was just saying, it's, it's particularly interesting, isn't it? That, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, this headline uh, kind of project. Uh, in El Salvador, uh, happens as far as I can tell to have had, you know, Christian origin. Um, I think you see that throughout history, don't you, as well? Yeah. You know, yeah. Christians are the ones. That's right. Who build the hospitals. They're the ones who build the schools. All you know, slavery. Spread of Christianity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Done more for the alleviation of poverty and oppression than any other social movement in the history of the world. That's right. Um, uh, and it's fantastic. Yeah, that's right. That's right. What, so given that, given that framework, what, 
um, what do you like about Bitcoin? So uh, I presume that you made the decision uh, for Bitcoin primarily for, you know, number go up technology. But how do you how do you marry um, or how do you think Bitcoin and Christianity fit together? Yeah, so, I mean, the number goes up thing. Uh, I think that's why most people get into it, isn't it? And I think they're, they're probably telling the porcupine if they say otherwise. Um, uh, it really wasn't until I kind of started holding um, that I did the research. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's fairly universal. Mm-hmm. Others' mileage may vary. Uh, where do I see the, the connection between holding Bitcoin and Christianity? I think I love the fact that this is completely uncensorable money. And why, uh, so why is that important for, why, why would you care as a Christian for that? Because um, you look back to the protests in Belarus um, last year in, in 2019, and um, you see the, the Belarusian protesters receiving funding in a manner that cannot be stopped. Um, and so I think that for funding mission work in regimes that are less friendly or even outright hostile, um, that's, that's massive. Um, I mean, the fact that El Salvador have, uh, adopted Bitcoin as a, as a national currency and the reason that, uh, Bukele has given, well, the main reason is that it's going to increase their GDP by, you know, six, seven, eight percent. Purely by virtue of the fact that they're not now paying fees to remittance agents. So basically, you're you're making the argument, and I agree. Uh, you're you're basically making the argument that um, because it's a better and moral money, uh, better and moral people, Christian should definitely gravitate towards Bitcoin. There should, there should be no hesitation in its superiority and, and morality. So on a really pragmatic basis, like just pure pragmatics, uh, it, it is better for funding mission work because you can do it um, without your money being stopped and you can do it where the missionary will receive all of the funding you intend to send to them. Um, so that's the, that's the kind of purely pragmatic uh, basis. I suppose on a moral level, this is a money that gives the worker his wages because it can't be inflated away. By nice. Okay. That's very good. Okay. It is uh, equal weights and balances which the Lord delights in. Absolutely. Amen. You know, he doesn't just prefer for uh, something to be honest. He delights in that. And so given that Bitcoin has these properties, uh, given that it, it, it is uh, in line with biblical principles uh, and more so in line than the currency we currently use, Absolutely, the church should be in this. We and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. But you know, do you think that there's a role for you know indefinite funding of missions or church tithing? Um, I mean, I, I personally think that 
the and having been involved in missions uh, for many years, I've seen the cycle of missionaries coming to the states, raising money, and going back onto the field. And when they come back on furlough, they spend most of the time on furlough raising money, and they they're exhausted. They're 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 supposed to come back for rest and furlough, and for the church to take care of them. But instead, they're driving all around. Um, the U.S. trying to raise money, um, and I'm sure it's similar for, for missionaries true. in the U.K. So, I mean, I think it would be wonderful if, you know, the, a church, ascending church could kind of tithe, you know, a 20 or 30 percent above the missionaries' needs, and that could potentially fund them for the rest of their lives in Bitcoin. Um, do, you, do you think that's a, a practical role? Do you think that's a doable thing? And do you think it's adoptable? I, I, I certainly think so. I think um, there will be education that needs to go on in the church at large um, on a technical basis uh, for for it to work properly. But I would say no more so than there was technical education that needed to be done with Gutenberg's printing press, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and look where that got us. So uh, I think as a technology absolutely it's it's replicable across um churches uh i think it's certainly something that mission organizations are going to be want to looking seriously into um i think your point about furlough is 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 massively true um my my wife's parents were actually missionaries in pakistan in the 90s and uh from what i can glean from their experience um yeah furlough was very much a, a kind of um funds gathering exercise um because you know mission it is to a large degree underfunded mm-hmm. I, I think with the the kind of inherently deflationary um nature of bitcoin you know the, the completely hard supply cap and the exponentially increasing demand uh, rather ironically it's some of the church's biggest enemies who are going to end up funding a lot of mission work if we adopt Bitcoin in our missions, because uh, you will have uh, people who are completely opposed to the spread of the gospel adopting Bitcoin. Uh, and that's the beauty of it. It is completely agnostic. You know, it's computer code. It doesn't care what your beliefs are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's money for enemies. And it's money for our enemies, absolutely. You know, and, and we pray that by being confronted by the truth in Bitcoin, they, they are confronted by truth itself, truth himself. Uh, but equally, you know, it's money for us uh, who would be deemed enemies uh, by some who are actually going to ultimately and unwittingly, uh, but perhaps in the Lord's will, uh, actually fund the spread of his kingdom. You think that Bitcoin can be used as a as a tool for ministry or evangelism, or and or missions for that matter? I I think I've seen, um, I've seen some of your contributions on your blog, uh, which are very evangelistically minded. Uh, I think you've got a, a gift for uh, speaking to the current Bitcoiner, who you might call a no Christer. Mm-hmm. Um, and saying, look, you know, you, you hold these things to be true in Bitcoin. It's not that much of an intellectual leap. Um, uh, and of course, the, the reason we know is 
because Bitcoin has been given by God. It's a good gift from God. Um, just like steak and lifting weights and being out in the sun are all good gifts from God. Uh, so yeah, I, I think certainly you can use it evangelistically insofar as, you know, like Paul in Athens, uh, just looked at a, mm-hmm. a you know, the, the statues, the unknown God, mm-hmm. uh, evangelistically, but because he was speaking into the context of, of the people he was speaking to. So absolutely. Yeah. You can speak to Bitcoiners, uh, using Bitcoin, uh, as a kind of referent, um, pointing them to Christ, mm-hmm. uh, you can use it in missions for sure. Um, I think, you know, there are other minds than mine who will be able to, to tell you practically how that works. Um, and I think you can certainly use it in churches. Um, you know, I'm, I'm on a mini mission of myself to, to try and uh, get our church holding it at least a small amount um, just to see where it goes, you know. I think even socially for those in the community that, that are living on the edges, you, you mentioned that you're, you're living in a, uh, you know, what we would consider the rust belt here in the U S you know, the Northern States where, uh, steel and iron was, was pretty big upper Appalachians and there's still a lot of endemic poverty. And, you know, if the churches have a, <clears throat> if the churches have a tool like Bitcoin that, that, um, is deflationary and increases in value, um, that's just another awesome weapon to help, um, help those on the edges, on the margins. I mean, you um, can fund a, uh, kind of, uh, yeah, poverty of alleviation fund in, in a local church, you know, a local church, mm-hmm. 60 people, um, could conceivably, put aside some money that will grow 30, 60, hundredfold and will uh, look after the physical uh, and temporal needs of orphans and widows. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. To do. Absolutely. It's not just the the sole purpose of the church. Absolutely not. Um, But if we've got the heart of Christ towards people, um, you know, it's like in James, you, you don't just walk up to the man who's not eaten or the man who doesn't have a coat and say, you know, peace be with you. Mm-hmm. You, you have to do that um, care for the body as well as the soul. And we see that with Jesus, don't we? Yeah. You know, he, he heals the guy in, in Bethsaida and then returns to him in the temple and says, you know, it's not your, your health that I'm primarily interested in, it's your holiness. Do you do that? No, well said. Well said. I, I think that um, the well, I lost my train of thought there. Um, I, I was going to tag on to what you said. Um, do you think there are any um, if, from a Christian's perspective? Do you think there's like any Christian FUD? Um, and we talked a little bit about this, you know, the mark of the beast. Is this something of the devil? And I know intellectually, you know, I had to kind of think through that just because, you know, what's um, pervasive in, you know, Christian thinking. But, um, you know, is yes, that's probably a real FUD. And are there any other FUD, Christian FUDs that are specific to Christian Bitcoiners? And then how do you, how do you overcome those, those objections? Yeah. So I, I think the, um, the Mark of the Beast one is, um, big, probably bigger over with you than with me. Um, I, I think there's a kind of understanding that, you know, that 
the whole buying and selling kind of thing um, might be linked to centralized forms of economic control. Um, I mean, I think the quick and, and dirty answer to that is Bitcoin is decentralized. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it can't be controlled by a central party, uh, no matter how powerful. Um, I, I suppose I would come at that with um, maybe a, a slightly different perspective um, in terms of what does it actually mean to bear the beast's mark on your head and your hand? Um, I'm not convinced it's a physical, literal mark. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't read that passage in that way. Um, I think throughout Revelation, you, you see um, the, the 144,000 have, have been marked with God's name on their heads. Um, you see in the, the, the letters, at uh, the very start of Revelation, um, Jesus talks of, uh, you know, having the name of his God written all over you um, mm -hmm. as a pillar in the new creation. I think we, we go back to Deuteronomy 6, um, verse 8, and the, the surrounding verses there, um, where God is talking to uh, his Old Testament people, Israel. Uh, he talks to them of bearing his commands uh, binding them on their head and on their hands. And my understanding of that passage in Revelation is it's a callback to, to Deuteronomy 6, uh, uh, where uh, the uh, writer is essentially uh, saying to them, look, you know, there are two ways of living here. You've either got the way where you have God's, uh, name God's name on your head and on your hands. So the, the things that you believe and the, the things that you do, the work that you put your hand to, they are all about Christ and his glory. Or you have the beast's uh, name on your head and on your hands. And the things that you believe and the things that you do are not for Christ. They're, they're for um, something other than Christ, something beastly um, that, that is against Christ. <laughs> Uh, and so I think as people, as Christians who bear God's name on our head and on our hands, the things we believe and the things we do, the things we believe about Bitcoin and the things that we do with Bitcoin uh, are for the glory of Christ. And those who are opposed to Christ, who have the beast's name on their head and hands, uh, believe and do the things with Bitcoin uh, that are against his purposes. So, so uh, mm -hmm. go ahead. No, go ahead, Arnold. Uh, there's just a massive thing there for the church to, to understand that uh, as Christians, this is a tool. Okay, Bitcoin is a tool. This is nothing more than that. Um, it, it's a tool in as much as uh, money is a tool. It's a tool in as much as the printing press was a tool. And... You know, Johannes Gutenberg and his contemporaries saw the printing press. They, they saw the uh, potential uh, for it. They saw the uh, impact that it could make for the kingdom. And with the beliefs that they had about God and with the work of the hands that they did for God, uh, they changed the world with it. And I see no difference uh, with Bitcoin. I think there's, there's every reason to believe that it will have as much, if not more, impact on the world. Uh, I agree. I, I agree. I mean, I, I, the, the, 
the mark of the beast was a um, a thought process I went through, um, but uh, quickly, um, you know, dispatched with it. Um, but I, I think that it is if you don't understand Bitcoin, um, it, it can be probably a little daunting in that realm for the Christian. But so if we think of that as one Christian, do you do you think there are any other objections that a Christian and are there any other objections you think that a Christian would come up with or why, for instance, is your church hesitant? Are they just not aware or they do they have biases or what other FUD might there be? I think there's, there is a lack of um, awareness. Uh, I think there's a, I mean, in the UK, far fewer people hold it. Um, I, I would say as a percentage of the population uh, than do in America. Um, so I think just culturally, there's not as much understanding. Um, you know, it's not in our media as much. Um, I think the big thing is uh, this fear that, uh, you know, it's, it's a love of money. Mm. And the, the idea that a love of money is is a root of all kinds of evils, um, which we have to hold to be true. You know, you cannot serve both God and mammon. Um, and so I think sometimes in the way that Bitcoiners at large, and, you know, I would include myself in that, talk about Bitcoin, it can sound to somebody who doesn't understand it as if uh, you you love it. Or like it's a get rich scheme and uh, yeah, yeah you're in it just to, just for the money. Get rich quick, you know? Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, and yeah. I, I think in that sense, you know, the fact that this is inherently a deflationary currency mm -hmm. and the number will go up and always go up. Uh, it doesn't help in that sense. Um, because you know, the, the, yeah. the assumption is there that you're in it because you yeah. just want money for yourself. Yeah. That's interesting. That's an interesting thought. Um, as we, as we were discussing walking through that, because you know, that's probably the better way to introduce it is as a tool. And oh, by the way, it's going to make a lot of money, but this is why it's a tool. Um, yeah. And I agree with your, I, I, I fundamentally agree with your assessment that uh, Bitcoin will be uh, transformational. Um, you know, if you look at the Pax Romana and the, and the Roman road system, that, that was the greatest technology of, of the time. And that there's no way that the gospel would have spread without the Roman road system and the Gutenberg press, the internet for us. Uh, has done amazing things for the gospel, and I, I agree that that Bitcoin's going to do the same thing. Do you Even think New Testament, um, you know, Paul, Paul is using the technology of the day to uh, be with people where he can't physically be with them. Uh, the analog would be that I think if Paul was around today, we'd probably be listening to a uh, to a podcast <laughs> or, or or seeing him on Zoom. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I think Christians throughout the ages have used the technology that's come about um, for kingdom purposes. That's that's well said. I mean, that basically we need to package Bitcoin for kingdom purposes. Um, and that's it. Um, that's that's well said. Uh, onward, to, you know, one thing I think you and I also uh, I saw one of your tweets and I replied with an amen to it. Um, this whole idea within 
Bitcoin, Twitter, and the Bitcoin sphere of these citadels. You know, for those of us, uh, for those in the audience who may not understand what that concept is, um, just describe that and, and why that's kind of objectionable. Um, the the I would say it's a meme. The meme of citadels uh, amongst Bitcoiners is that you can take uh, yourself, uh, your family, and the people that you like off to a private island or a cave somewhere whilst the world goes to hell in a handcart. But I, I, see, I think it's more than a meme. I think that people, I really think that if, if a Bitcoiner had the wherewithal to go and buy a city state or an island, they would do that. I think that's real. No doubt. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, we, we may well see that um, in less than 15 years time. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, uh, I think there will be those genuinely trying to do that. Um, I mean, do you the, think the, that's a, do you think that's a, for, for, as a Christian, do you think that's a good thing to do or not? And why? Well, utterly objectionable. The reason is uh, that it's a utopic vision of what humanity can be. Um, mm -hmm. Tends to be uh, that vision without Christ. And um, yeah, if you're going to. Yeah. I no, go ahead. Yeah. The way I would say it is um, by, by thinking of Citadel as the, the ideal place to live, uh, I suppose a good kind of picture would be if you wanted to go uh, to a place where there was no uh, sickness uh, in this world. And uh, one of your party uh, is actually carrying COVID. Uh, so in your citadel, everyone's going to get COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but but the picture goes wider than that, because in your citadel, everyone is sick before they go. Uh, and so withdrawing from the world and expecting to be, <laughs> in a sense, immunized from the ills of the world, uh, is a profoundly anti-Christian idea. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I've got a lot of respect for, for monks and nuns who do that. Um, I've got a lot of respect for the, the brethren who, uh, you know, in, in some kind of sense, protect their children. And, and goodness me, there is a lot going on in the world that you don't want, you know, kids to be exposed to. But at the end of the day, uh, it doesn't deal adequately with the fact that we're all sinners. And and so you're never going to get a utopia because and we're, something uh, and we're called to be salt and light. I mean, it's yeah, that's, yeah. We need to be in <laughs> in the dung heap, so to speak. It's, you know, in the darkness, light only has value if it's lighting up the darkness. Salt only right. you if yeah. it's purifying. You um, know, it's interesting. I, I find I I find it almost contradictory that. Bitcoiners, you know, Stephen Lavera in the space is really big on this idea of citadels. And yeah. um, I find it almost contradictory because they hate the utopian environment that we're moving into, but they want to create their own. I mean, it's, it just doesn't make sense to me. Hell as old as time, though. Um, yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah. We, we've all culture is culture is people uh, and you might say culture is uh, the that which a group tends to over time um, 
But ultimately, culture is humanity's story of trying to live without God. Yeah. And uh, God's got a better culture for us. He, he's got a Amen. city. Uh, we see that at the end of Revelation, don't we? Yeah. Amen. Mm-hmm. Descending from heaven um, where we will be with God. Uh, and that is the city that a Christian belongs to. Um, if our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, uh, then we are citizens of the heavenly city. Amen. Very well said. Do you, um, so, you know, you're young, but um, bright. I mean, how do you, how how do you see this playing out with Bitcoin and, um, you know, Christianity, you know, and missions right now? I mean, do you, I, I grew up in a time when, you know, the world was going to end and repent and, and because the, the end is nigh. Um, but if this is from the Lord, and I think it is because I agree with you, it's, it's absolute truth. There's just nothing uh, impure about Bitcoin. Um, there's got to be a purpose for this and there's got to be, there's got to be time for this to work in God's plan, I, w- I would imagine. Um, I am neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. Um, I won't stone you. (laughs) Yeah. Just rewind this in, in two years time. Yeah, exactly. Um, we, we must reckon every day as if it is our last. Yeah. Uh, the Lord Jesus is coming and he is coming soon. Uh, he will come as a thief in the night. Uh, we will not know. Uh, the time we are uh, to be ready uh, and expectant uh, to receive him. And yet there seems like so much more of the story left to be written, doesn't there? Yeah. You know, that's, that's very well said and wise. I, I, I presume that really the moral of that, that little um, aside is, you know, we've got this fantastic tool and we need to use it today for the glory of God and not worry about, you know, this grander vision of what, what God's going to do with this, because you're right. We, we may, we may not be here. He may come tomorrow. Um, but we have this fantastic tool to use for his glory. And, and it's about being found a faithful steward with the resources he's given us. Yeah. All of our fiat money is God's and all of our Bitcoin is also God's. Yeah. Um, so my understanding of it is if there's a, a, an objectively and obviously worse money and, uh, the same is true, but with a better money, why would I not upgrade mm. uh, to the better money? Because it can be used, as you say, you know, for funding of perpetual mission, um, at least in, until mission is no longer necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why would you not use it for funding of uh, perpetual care of the poor? It, it just seems so obvious. But do you think that, um, you know, one thing that I found out quickly on Bitcoin Twitter is um, I don't think anybody's going to compel Bitcoiners. And this is why I kind of push back on 
the 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 idea of Bitcoin fixes everything. What Bitcoin's not going to do is it's not going to fix somebody's heart. And I asked a question one time on Twitter. You know, what responsibility do we have as Bitcoiners to take care of the poor? And you know, didn't get a response. Um, and that doesn't mean that someone wasn't thinking about it, but it's clear that Bitcoin's not going to compel us to do something different than we're already doing on on a social front or something like that. But um, it, if we are inclined to do something on the social front, it could just make it that much more efficient and enduring. Yeah. So uh, I think the compulsion uh, point is really, uh, really interesting, actually. Um, and I, I don't think that's the way that God works, is it? He, he, God loves a cheerful giver. Yes. Um, and our giving to the work of the church is explicitly, Paul writes, is not to be done out of a sense of compulsion. Um, when, when he's writing to Philemon about uh, Onesimus, he, he says, you know, although I could order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you out of love. Uh, and so I think that is the kind of pattern, the gospel pattern uh, of what God wants from us, because he, he, he has desires for us. Of course he does. But the way in which he desires us to be giving uh, is out of an understanding of the generous uh, nature of what the Lord Jesus has done. Amen. Uh, it's when we look at Jesus, you know, in, in Philippians, um, who for your sake became poor, that you might become rich. Um, that is what is going to change our hearts to be generous like our Heavenly Father is. Yeah. Amen. Well said. I think that the 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 point of the question was, you know, uh, uh, part. I feel like part of my duty is um, I want to meet falsity with truth and or falsehood with truth. And I feel like, you know, some of these things that are said on Bitcoin or Bitcoin Twitter are just they're just not true. Um, like Bitcoin fixes everything. Bitcoin's going to fix the world. Well, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. Only there's only one person that can do that. Um, change a lot of things. It'll modify a lot of behaviors. Yeah. Primarily the, the, the kind of time preference, um, you know, mindset, but behavior modification is not heart change. You know, That's right. The true, true heart change absolutely changes the people's priorities. Um, but yeah, I mean, insofar as it's, um, I'm going to lower my tie preference so that I can, so that I can become rich. Um, no, you, you absolutely need a heart transplant there and there's only one place you're going to get it. So expound upon that, the time preference. I, I, in my last, no, my second to last medium article, I, I spoke to this issue with time preference. So w what for the Christian will this concept of lowering time preference do for him? Mm. So if you hold better money, which means uh, that you don't have to worry about uh, chasing a return on what you've got, or you don't need to worry about, um, you know, where to put you your hard-earned cash. Um, I mean, firstly, you're not going to be uh, spending 
time worried about money, uh, you know, you're not going to be giving yourself an opportunity to love money. Uh, and in fact, you can use that time to love God as you should. Uh, you know, if, if your, if your vision is set toward, uh, you know, the, the, the increase uh, that can be had after you're gone, uh, your mind naturally will be focused on after you're gone. Uh, not merely a, a worldly sense of leaving a legacy, uh, but, you know, we know from the Psalms, it is good to dwell on your own death. Uh, it sounds morbid. Uh, I don't expect all of your listeners to understand that, but <laughs> one of the, the, the many benefits that I have as a Christian is contemplating my death, uh, the death of this body and where I'm going to be. Uh, and so, you know, we are to be heavenly minded and we have to set our on things above. And insofar as Bitcoin makes you think about the future, uh, both in the worldly and a heavenly sense, that, that can only be a good thing. Fantastic. Uh, I, I agree. Um, onward. Sorry, I, I was responding to something there. Um, that's fantastic. Um, what? Onward, if we haven't discussed something that you think you feel... Um, like you need to say, or you, you want to say about, um, Bitcoin, um, feel free to just share if I haven't asked the question. Um, I think we've, we've, we've talked Bitcoin up a lot. Um, rightly so. Uh, we've talked Christ up a lot, rightly so. Um, uh, maybe a question for you. Uh, what, what's the comparison between the two? I think ultimately it's it, it, it's the it's the time preference question. I I don't think it ultimately matters about the number go up technology. I think ultimately I I mentioned this in the trailer to the to the podcast that um, our time preference has been artificially uh, increased because of the fiat stand the fiat uh, monetary system that we live in, mm. and it destroys. The time that I like, would I have time to do something like this? And, and if I wasn't um, thinking of Bitcoin, probably not. Would I want to take the time? No. Do do I want to take the extra time to uh, witness or disciple somebody? Um, do I want to spend my vacation going on a on a mission trip? And the answer to that is, uh, you know, it, purely in a black and white. Obviously, we know there are lots of grays, but if you boil it down to time preference, your time is the most important thing you have. And we're, we're stingy with our time. And I think Bitcoin allows us to indeed lower our time preference so that, yes, I can slow down and yes, I can walk with the Lord and yes, I can walk with you and, and do the things that the Lord wants me to do. Um, I think that's the value of Bitcoin. Um, I think the other things, the number go up technology, the, the truths about Bitcoin are secondary. Um, I think its primary value is um, the time it gives us back. I think that's true. Um, I think I've seen um, a, a kind of non-Christian perspective, which says 
wealth is not about the the number of dollars or I might say pounds that you hold, but it's about, you know, having the time to do the things you want to do. And to an extent that's true. I think as a Christian, I want to, I want to go further. Um, true wealth is not about having the time to do the things that I want to do to, to please myself. Um, but it's about redeeming that time, uh, in order to use it in the way that God wants me to use it. Absolutely. Paul writes, doesn't he about, um, you know, to any of you who are in slavery, um, buy yourselves out of slavery if you can. And I think the, the main purpose that he wrote that little verse is that to those who were slaves at the time he was writing, their primary objective in life was pleasing their earthly master. Mm -hmm. And when they bought themselves out of slavery and presumably they had help from the church to do that, uh, they were freed from that priority and then they could serve their heavenly master. Yes. Uh, I think if Bitcoin allows uh, a lot of Christians to do that, then all for the better. Yes. And it will. I mean, by default, it will. There's there's no way that we're going to have an abundance of time and not do something for God's glory. I mean, there, there will be an increase in his glory because we will have more time. Now, what that looks like for each person is going to be different, but um, there will we will be spending more time doing the thing that things that the Lord wants us to do because we're going to have more time. You know, um, massive benefit to our small church in uh, the difference between our pastor having to work a job to support himself mm -hmm. when we started enabling him to minister full time with us. Uh, and that's just one guy, you know, if, if a lot more Christians can do that, then, then that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, onward. We're, so uh, as we kind of wrap up here, I mean, what, uh, where can people connect with you? And uh, more importantly, um, you know, how can we pray for you and, and the church that you're involved in? Um, yeah, I don't have SoundCloud, um, so I'm not going to be plugging that one. Um, I am on Twitter at uh, Christian Hodler's. Uh, with without the e, so it's h o d l all in capitals uh, and then r s because Twitter wouldn't let me put the full thing in. Uh, so at Christian Hodlers uh, on Twitter, how can you be praying for me? Um, in particular for for me and my wife, uh, we've we've gone through a really difficult um, season. Um, we we lost a baby recently. Mm pray for us and um, pray that we would uh, be born up uh, by God, uh, that we would uh, be faithful uh, and that by our witness, uh, there would be others who, who see that um, and who, who ultimately praise our father. Um, pray for me as I uh, try and uh, connect with uh, Christians uh, in the UK to uh, kind of persuade our churches to uh, start using this technology um, and uh, yeah just pray for the preaching of the word and that God would uh, be pleased to use it it wouldn't return empty to him all right my friend it would be my honor to, to pray for you now uh, Lord thank you so much for onward in his in his time here um, 
Lord, uh, you know um, his situation, you know his station. Um, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill him with power, um, bless his wife, um, and redeem this time that um, they've lost uh, in, in this difficulty. Um, use them to um, spread your word um, and to shine your light in the community that they're in, Lord. And I pray for Onward as he um, just tries to bring this technology um, within the church uh, that you would allow him to speak eloquently with wisdom mm -hmm. and that you would just go before him and give him favor, Lord. Amen. Amen. After praying, we were essentially done with recording and I was asking onward some other questions. And so the next section was recorded after closing the session. So it seemed, it may seem like an awkward break, but it was recorded after uh, uh, praying with him. It's very fascinating. Hey, Onward, as we, as we kind of close things out, um, you know, you're a millennial and I know you have a hope in Christ, um, but as a millennial speaking for millennials, um, do you, what's your hope for the future or, or what do you think millennials are thinking about the future? Mm. I mean, to, to be a spokesman for a whole generation, um, I think a lot of people my age have come into a world of work where there's a, a meaning crisis, a purpose crisis. Um, I mean, you imagine a lot of people will have started their working life just before or just after the, the global financial crash in 2008. Um, and so they've never worked in something which is other than a, a post or, you know, kind of recovering recessionary environment. Um, I think there's a massive push towards doing work that you are fulfilled in. Um, not, not wrongly, I would add. I think, you know, it's, it's important for people to um, have that concern for others. Uh, but I think what I would say is that they're, they're trying to fulfill that purpose or find that meaning in all the wrong places. Mm. And uh, so I, I've got hope because there's such a clear understanding of a need um, you know, these people are not living their lives content. They're not generally satisfied in who they are and what they do. Um, and I think, you know, the, the late great St. Augustine put it far better than I ever could is that our souls are restless until we find our rest in you. Mm. Um, our souls are purposeless until we mm. find our purpose in you. Our souls are meaningless until we find our meaning in you. And I think, you know, as a, a Christian millennial, um, there's a, a fantastic amount of purpose and meaning in life uh, that I and others like me can, can offer to my um, kind of generation. So uh, I think that's what I would say. Do you think that there's, how do you feel about the, the social justice movement and, and, I don't know if it's that big of a, a pull in the UK, but um, what is there a role for a Christian millennial to be involved in that? And I, really any Christian, but specifically the Christian millennial, because it seems like it that movement really affects the Christian millennial. It was born out of millennials. Yeah, it's so, so tied up in politics, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but uh, politics aside, the desire to see justice done um, 
is something that delights delights God. Um, you know, he, he wants us to walk humbly, uh, love mercy and do justice. Um, I think insofar as it is social justice and that's where it begins and ends, um, that, that's deficient. Uh, and I think we've got to say that as Christians uh, yeah. to, to merely look after people um, in their worldly difficulties uh, is is actually to do an injustice to them. Uh, mm. It's not right by them. Uh, we we know that uh, they have a far greater problem. Uh, it's a problem of being estranged from God, mm. and uh, so we we want to implore them to be reconciled to him, don't we? Uh, so I think social justice, uh, yeah, it's big. It's big over here, probably um, bigger over with you. Um, there's a lot to be thankful for with it. Uh, there's a lot to challenge in it. Um, yeah, it's a movement that um, will not uh, dampen over time, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a movement. I think the church has got a lot to say too as well. Yeah. Great thoughts. All right, my friend. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Please like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you would leave a review, that would be fantastic as well. Peace. A little more about our Satoshi Millionaire game. The plan is to have a series of questions spread over a number of shows. At the conclusion of the series of questions, there will be an opportunity to DM the Twitter handle at Mission21M with the answers. The first person to DM with the correct answers will be the recipient of the 1 million Satoshis. The only way to receive them is via a lightning wallet, so make sure you have one that is set up. I hope you have fun playing. Thanks.